Hey everyone, thanks for stopping by. This is John Ferguson, pastor at Mercy Hill Church here in Bryan College Station. I'm glad you're able to join us for this uh, special study called Living in an Anxious World. We're doing this recording because we have uh, suspended our services at Mercy Hill Church for the time being in light of the coronavirus and the Council of Health Officials to help flatten the curve. And yet we wanted to still put something together to help us think through what's going on right now, how we should respond to that. And Without a doubt, we are living in an anxious world. If nothing else, people are anxious because other people are anxious. And so the question arises, how should we live in these times? How do we handle anxiety, heightened anxiety that we sense all around us, that we sense within us? And, and what resources are we given with the good news of Jesus Christ? And these are some of the questions I want us to entertain as we work our way through this study. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. This is a book found in the New Testament. It's actually a letter. And it was written by a man who was named the Apostle Paul. He was Jesus' Lee ambassador and apostle to the Roman Empire. And the context of this letter is that Paul himself is languishing in a Roman prison because he is calling everyone to faith in and allegiance to Jesus Christ. And in the letter, you can tell that he's, he's not really sure exactly what the outcome of this is going to be, but he's writing to these followers of Jesus in the ancient city of Philippi who perhaps themselves are feeling anxious because their leader, Paul, uh, is now in prison and the persecution is heating up and they're definitely living in an anxious time, in an anxious world. And so we're going to look at some of his words this morning. As we get ready to jump in, I wonder if you would just uh, pray with me and, and ask the Lord to teach us and to help us to understand how we ought to hear uh, this message and apply it to our lives. And so uh, let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge that we are living in an anxious time. Uh, we haven't seen really anything on this global scale before, and many of us don't know exactly what to make of it. A lot of us are feeling anxious because of the nonstop coverage in the news and, and other uh, items of uh, interest that we're hearing. Others of us maybe perhaps feel that a lot of this has much to do about nothing, and, and, and maybe some of us are just somewhere in between that. Help us to understand um, a little bit about what Paul, this ancient uh, apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, said to some of the original followers of Jesus um, living in this ancient city of Philippi and the, the, the heat that they were feeling from their circumstances and the anxiety they felt living in, in their world and help us to apply that uh, to our lives as well. We all need your grace. We all need to understand more about ourselves in light of the gospel of Jesus and understand more about this amazing person named Jesus. And so be with us and teach us as we work our way through this study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul begins in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4, by saying these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Uh, these are interesting words for him to kind of set up what he's about to tell these people next on the issue of anxiety and how to, to deal with that and how to process that before the Lord. And so he just begins simply by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now remember, this is the Apostle Paul saying this. This is the Apostle Paul languishing in prison facing death because of Jesus and his testimony for Jesus. He's 
feeling the pressure himself, no doubt. And he, he wasn't someone who was unacquainted with this. And in fact, in another letter that we have contained for us in the New Testament, a letter named First Corinthians, I'm actually, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians, in chapter 11, he talks about uh, his experience as an apostle and, and the high price that he's paid to, to carry on this message of Jesus. And so he tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and following these words, that he has faced far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. We can hear, even in his testimony of what he's gone through, how the pressure of living in this world has, has pressed in upon him. He's been through sleepless nights. He's been without food. He's been out in the cold with no place to, to shelter. And on top of all that, he has the anxiety of, of caring for the churches, these communities of Jesus followers, that he helped to establish. And he feels weak. And so when other people are weak, he knows exactly what's going on. So Paul, when he calls us to rejoice, is not adopting an escapist strategy for dealing with the pain in the world. This is no stiff upper lip, grin and bear it theology. Rather, this is a way of being in the world that was forged in the fires of intense suffering and persecution. It is the lived experience of a flesh and blood person, just like you and me. This person is anchoring his life in something bigger than his pain, his anxiety, and his suffering. In Paul's mind, something has happened that has so fundamentally changed his view of the world that he can approach any situation and rejoice in it. And what was that situation? What was that circumstance? What was that something that happened? It was simply the resurrection of Jesus. Paul himself was a part of the group of the Pharisees who had conspired to put Jesus to death. And he himself met the resurrected Jesus, and his life was turned upside down. He was never the same, and that in a very good way. And so he gave his life to talking about this new reality that is coming to the world, this resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He would say earlier in this letter that we're looking at here in Philippians chapter 1, as he, as he contemplates the fact that he is in prison and, and could be facing death, he says these words in verses 20 and 21. He said, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus, even death has been transformed in his thinking. It's not an enemy to be dreaded as if we had no hope. It's still an enemy, but it's been conquered through Jesus. And so Paul says, as he looks at his own uh, impending death, that if he does die, that's actually gain. If he doesn't die, he continues living for Jesus. It's a win-win situation. 
He would say in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 12, Christ Jesus has made me his own. (laughs) What amazing words he spoke there. This is the Jesus that Paul was persecuting. This was the Jesus who had followers that Paul put to death. And in a moment of amazing, astounding grace, Jesus had mercy and compassion upon Paul, the persecutor, confronted him, converted him, and lavished his amazing grace and commissioned him to join his movement and to proclaim the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to the Roman Empire. And so that is the Paul that is talking here. And he can speak this way because the resurrection of Jesus is the lens which through, through which he, he views reality now. It, it made a difference in the way that he dealt with his anxious world. And he thinks it ought to make a difference in the lives of his original audience. So let's hear him speak to us in our own present situation as we find ourselves living in an anxious world with a virus that's spreading around the world. And let us hear him speaking to us this side of Jesus' empty tomb. Rejoice in the Lord always, even in the face of a pandemic. Again, I will say rejoice. See, Paul's not calling people to rejoice in their situation, because sometimes those situations are crazy. His own experience was. But he's causing us to look at something different, to to look at what's more than just right in front of us. So in calling us to rejoice, he then goes on to say in verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This is almost a, a parenthetical statement as he reminds his readers that their lives as followers of Jesus are on display before a watching world. That word reasonableness translates a Greek word that can be translated into English as gentleness, patience, appropriateness. The version I'm using translates it as reasonableness. The New International Version, for example, translates this sentence by saying, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Christian Standard Bible translates it, Let your graciousness be known to everyone. And Paul is addressing these followers of Jesus living in Philippi. And he says, look, in the midst of this situation you're, you're facing, your, your life is on display. Your, your life is being seen by other people. And so he wants their reasonableness, their gentleness, their patience, the, the appropriate way that they ought to be living as followers of Jesus to be evident for all. This kind of echoes what he said earlier in chapter 1, verse 27, when he called them to, to let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. They are now followers of Jesus, and it ought to make a difference in the way they live, in the way they face trials, in the way they they face their anxieties. And so he says in verse 5, let your reasonableness, I'm sorry, reasonableness be known to everyone. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord Lord is near. They're, They're not by themselves in this, but the Lord is near. This is good to hear for them, and it's good to hear for us. Hear Paul saying, he has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. How can he? There's a time in the history of the people of Jesus and Paul when they were going through some crazy times, and there was a temptation for them to think that God had forgotten them. There's a passage, an interesting one, in Isaiah 49, in which um, the prophet puts it like this. But Zion, that's kind of a nickname for Jerusalem. But Zion said, the Lord has forgotten me. My Lord has forgotten me. I'm sorry, let me get that again. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman 
forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What an amazing promise that Isaiah the prophet here records for us. In the midst of the people of God thinking that God had forsaken them, that they had forgotten him, we hear the voice of God speaking, saying, How can a woman forget her nursing child, have no compassion on the son that she births? Sometimes that does happen. But he says, Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. My friends, that, that promise has even more pertinence for us living today, this side of the cross of Jesus. <laughs> Our names are not simply engraved on his hands, but we're reminded of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Do you think that Jesus went to such extreme depths of execution by way of crucifixion to lose his grip on you now? He rose again. He has the keys to life and death in his hands. There's no way he can lose us. Jesus commissioning his disciples to go out and proclaim his gospel said these words to to the very ones he knew would be paying a high price even with their lives for proclaiming his message. At the end of the gospel in Matthew verse 20 it says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples. We're told in Hebrews chapter 13 by the author there, he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So these are some of the things that, that Paul himself has in mind when he tells us in Philippians 4 verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, he says. Some people I know could be hearing this and go, Paul, I'm not feeling you on this one. I, I, I don't get what you're saying. I mean, have you seen the kind of world we live in? Do not be anxious about anything. There's a, a thousand and one reasons to be anxious. And Paul says, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Do not be anxious about anything. How can he say that to us? What, what's he thinking? What's, what's he got up his sleeve? Uh, before we answer that, uh, this is a quick pop quiz. Do you know what is one of the most repeated commands in Scripture? If something tells you the words, do not fear, are the answer, you would be correct. Over and over again, to anxious people, to frightened people, to scared people, the words come, do not fear. And so Paul, living in that heritage, living this side of the crucifixion and resurrection, in which his mind has been utterly transformed by that event, he writes to these followers of Jesus in Philippi and says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There's a lot in that. Let me repeat it one more time. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, there's a lot in here, but, but Paul is highlighting for us three essential tools that we have, that we can use, that we can employ when we are feeling anxious. One is prayer. I mean, we have access to God. Jesus has given that to people like you and me. We have the often forgotten tool of thanksgiving. It is amazing, my friends, that when we stop and thank God for the things that we have, for the blessings that, that we have enjoyed, 
we grow in our sense that, that God is indeed for us. So we have prayer, we have thanksgiving. The third thing he mentions here are, are requests or, or supplications. To, to bring these before the Lord. I mean, he's calling us not to, to stew in our anxiety, not to act like we are orphans, but to actually take our burdens about anything and everything to God and to process it before him. There's an interesting illustration that I once heard. Imagine putting your fists in front of your, your eyes just, a, just an inch away and, and look and see what you can see. I mean, what you see is your, your fist, right? I mean, in the periphery, there might be some, some blurriness and you might be aware of, of something else going on there. But, but what you see, what you focus on is the fist in front of your face. Let those fists be your anxieties. That's all you can see, right? And if that's all you can see, then it makes no sense to hear the apostle say to us, do not be anxious. But Paul and Jesus and the wise sages and writers of scripture are trying to get something else before our eyes, or rather someone else. Paul says the Lord is near you in the midst of your anxiety. He's trying to get us to, to move our fists, our anxieties out from in front of us so that we can see the promise that God is there for us. I love the way that uh, the, the New Living Translation, which is really a, a paraphrase of the New Testament, uh, puts it in their translation of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. I actually think this is a, a great translation and, and worded simply and in a way that has its own cadence and, and can be easily memorized. My friends, let me just encourage you maybe to memorize this translation of this verse. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. You see, Paul knows that prayer is a way of processing our life with God. It's a way of processing your worries, your anxieties, your pressures, your burdens, your fears, the things that you're scared of, to process these things, not by yourself, but, but before the Lord. That's where he's trying to, to take us. And so he says something in, in verse 7 that, that's really interesting. He writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's really amazing to stop and think. He, he doesn't want us to worry about anything, and there's, there's lots we can worry about. But instead, he wants us to pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And the peace of God, he tells us, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My friends, this simply means that, that there is a gift that is given to us when we lean into God in prayer. It, it's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You can't analyze it. You can't put it in a science lab. You can't, you can't even really write about it. It passes understanding. It is supernatural, but it's given to us. When we pray, when we lean into him and tell him about all our anxieties and, and, and bring him back into the picture of, of what we're seeing before us, and this peace of God, the, the peace that God gives, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, 
The peace which God gives comes gift wrapped in the person of Jesus Christ and all that God is for us in him. There's an amazing promise that Jesus gave to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. It's recorded for us in the, the Gospel of John in chapter 14. And this is the time when Jesus was in that upper room in Jerusalem having the last meal with his disciples. And he goes on this extended prayer, which John the Apostle was able to, to relay to us. And Jesus said this, beginning in verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, then we'll jump down to verse 27. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. What an astounding promise that Jesus says here. I mean, first of all, let's just realize how odd this is on one hand. When he says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. Those of us who are followers of Jesus know that this is the kind of thing that Jesus said, so it doesn't really catch us off guard. But imagine if I said that to you. What if I came to you and said, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, but believe also in me. I don't know that you take me seriously at that. I mean, I'm not anywhere on the level of what God can be for you, and yet Jesus saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. But that's just something that Jesus says, and he's given this to his disciples. He gives it to us as well. He's promising us his peace. It's not, not the peace that the world gives you, that the government can't give it to you, your, your physicians can't give it to you, your pastor can't give it to you, your mom can't give it to you, your family can't give it to you. The peace that Jesus is speaking about is a supernatural gift that he can give to us. And therefore, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I mean, he knows that our hearts will be troubled. He knows there's so much in this world that can cause us to be afraid. But Jesus said, when we're dialed into him and all that God is for us in him, there's something supernatural that guards us, that protects us, it guards the way we think, it guards our feelings. And this, this, uh, this thing is, is simply the gift of the peace of God given to us in the person of Jesus. And so let's just note that this gift of the peace of God comes to us when we pray. Paul has called us to, to not worry about everything, but to pray about everything. To let our requests be known to God and, and give Him thanks for all that He's given to us. And, and when we do this, the, the, the gift of the peace of God comes to us in, in those moments. And why is that the case? Well, I think it's because praying is a declaration of dependence upon God. We are telling Him that we need Him, that we are not sufficient for what we face on our own, that there are things that, that frighten us, that scare us, that cause us to worry. And when we lean into God, when we lean into prayer, when we remember that, that God gives us the gift of His grace, He cares for us, that's when He begins settling our hearts and the supernatural peace of God begins to, to guard our hearts and to guard our minds. And my friends, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that I'm called out of myself and out of my own thoughts and to process my life before God in prayer. We are setting our hopes not on our circumstances changing, but upon our God who is near to us, no matter what their circumstances are. That's what Paul, as an ambassador of Jesus, is, is wanting us to see in that. So 
My friends, if I can, in a sense, bottom line this study for us, it would be this. With God before you, anxiety never has the last word. I wish I could tell you that everything's going to be better, that it's all going to work out in the end, and, and I don't know exactly what's going to happen during these times. It might actually get worse for a while. But our hope is not in our circumstances changing as much as we want that, but in the God who is with us, who even when we experience some crazy things that this world throws upon us and we experience in this world, God is with us in the midst of it. And that's why we have this uh, incredible gift of prayer before a Father who draws near to us in Christ. And so let's uh, think through maybe just a couple points of application as we think through what we just heard from this ambassador of Jesus, and, and let's see if we can apply it to our lives. So the first point of application that, that comes to my mind is simply this. Let's battle anxiety with the weapon of faith-filled prayer. Battle anxiety with the weapon of faith-filled prayer. Whenever we are feeling anxious, it's always good to catch ourselves and say, what is my anxiety saying? Who is it asking me to trust? Because my friends, anxiety is always talking to us. It's always saying things to us, and it's usually filled with fear, and it usually throws us back upon our own resources. And part of the reason we feel anxious is because, because we know that sometimes we don't have the resources we need to handle whatever is before us. And so listen to what that anxiety is saying. It's, it's oftentimes lying to us. Um, as I was thinking through this, um, I remember the, the kind of, um, I don't know, the best way to describe this quote is, is by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a, a medical physician who became a pastor. And he once said this in a message on the Psalms. He said, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. <laughs> I don't know how many times in my own anxiety that quote has come back to me. That I'm just listening to what's going on in my head, and I need to kind of talk back to myself from time to time. I need to, to wrangle those thoughts and to the ground and you know just reshape what's being said in my mind. I was thinking of... Um, I've been thinking off and on about this um, phrase that the Apostle Paul used in, in another place. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he's talking in another context uh, about defending the, the gospel and, and, and proclaiming that gospel of Jesus. And, and he said these words, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And, and I've thought about that phrase, and, and there's certainly a, a context in which it's proclaimed in, and, and another time we'll have opportunity to, to kind of work through that. But I've thought it helpful in my own life that sometimes I need to take captive my own thoughts, that sometimes they're going crazy, that are saying the wrong things, that are speaking despair and gloom, and I need to wrestle those things to the ground and, and bring them before Jesus. I, I need to, in a sense, make them obedient to Jesus. Uh, we take our emotional messiness and submit it to Christ. We take our anxious thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. We, in a sense, say, we're not going to be ruled. I'm not going to be ruled by my anxious thoughts or by my out-of-control emotions. We will only be ruled by Christ. So, my friends, when we feel anxiety, when we feel our emotions getting the best of us, let's wrestle them to the ground and bring them to our Lord Jesus and say, I'm going to listen to what Jesus has to say about my life, his promises to be with me no matter what. I mentioned earlier that prayer is a 
declaration of, of dependence upon God. And I think when we take our, our thoughts captive and we make them obedient to Christ, we, we bring them before God in prayer. We're processing our life before Him. And, and this prayer, in a sense, becomes a declaration of dependence. It's, it's a fierce and stubborn declaration saying, I am not alone. This is my Father's world. Jesus gave His life for me to make me His own. I've been given God's own Spirit that indwells me and empowers me to respond differently to life than I, I would naturally do. Therefore, I can have hope in any situation. I was thinking about this passage in the book of Psalms in which the psalmist says, this is in Psalm 56, he, he says these words, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. That's Psalm 56, verse 3. And then just a little bit further down in that psalm, verse 8, he says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And then he says, This I know that God is for me. I love this psalm because it does acknowledge there are times when we're afraid. And it, it seems to, to indicate to us that we have a choice. We can just simply be afraid and act like we're orphans and that God is not for us. Or we can bring ourselves and place ourselves in a place of trust before God. We can say, I trust God. I, I will not be afraid. And we know that God himself, he keeps track of our tossings. <laughs> you know, when anxiety sometimes threatens us in the middle of the night and we toss and turn, God, he knows that. He, he's keeping count of that. It's not lost on him. He, he puts our tears in a bottle, so to speak. He writes it down, all our anxieties and things that grieve us in, in a book. That's, that's just an ancient way of saying they're not forgotten by him. And what a wonderful promise. This I know that God is for me. My friends, we need to remember that, especially in a time like ours, when we live in an anxious world, when nonstop news just keeps uh, updates about how, how bad things are out there. We need to remember that, that God is for me, no matter what. And you know, my friends, even, even though we can battle anxiety with the weapon of prayer-filled trust, there are some times when we just need each other to be able to pray. We need to have others pray for us when sometimes we are having trouble believing that God is for us, when we are having trouble seeing clearly in that. I can't tell you how many times I've called people and said, hey, I need you to pray for me in this moment. I am feeling really anxious. And just to have them pray for me before the, the Lord does great. And I think we can do that during this time as well. I think in some ways we're not meant to fight anxiety alone. And so part of our calling as we live in an anxious world is to pray for one another. So let's call each other and text each other, meet with one another as we have opportunity, and to pray for one another during this anxious time that we're living in. And let me just throw one little caveat in there. None of what I've said so far um, about battling anxiety with the weapon of, of prayer-filled trust, none of this is meant to communicate that there are not times that we need to consult medical experts too. Um, sometimes our adrenal glands uh, get maxed out and, and sometimes there are, uh, are things that we just need to bring to our medical care providers as well. So let that little caveat to be in there too. So the first point of application, I think, is a good one. Let's battle our anxiety with the weapon of, of trust, of, of trust that leads us to pray 
to the God who is who is there, who is for us, who will meet us no matter what in the end. Here's a second uh, point of application that I think uh, we need to be thinking about uh, during this time as we live in an anxious world. Know that this is a time of testing. Anytime that we face trials, it by nature is a time of testing. Uh, our, our metals being proven, our, our dross in our life is, is being burned and, and risen to the surface so it can be scraped off and and the, the metal is, is purified. And so know this is a time of testing. And let's let our light shine during this time. I keep going back to a quote by Alan Redpath. He was a British pastor and author of the last century. And he talked about when we face different trials and trying to process that before the Lord. He, he said some words that I thought were very, very helpful to me in my own life. I want to share it with you as well. He said, There is no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. I found comfort in that. It reminds me that I'm not living at the mercy of chaos. Rather, I'm, I'm living in my Father's world. And there are things that I don't understand and some things He lets me experience that I just really don't know why. And I ask those questions. And, and just think about this, my friends. If we were at uh, the, the place of the skull outside of Jerusalem where they crucified Jesus some 2,000 years ago, and we witnessed that, and we had thought Jesus was the Messiah, but now we see Him nailed to a cross, His, his life slowly bleeding out of Him. We would have thought, how in the world can anything good come out of this? And in that moment, there would have been nothing for us to hang on to, as it seemed like darkness won. But then three days later, something happened and changed it. And so, even though I don't understand maybe why God allows certain things to happen, why this virus is spreading right now, I trust, I have to trust. What else can I do but to trust that if God can bring the greatest good out of the crucifixion of Jesus, namely the salvation of the world, then I can trust Him with these other things that I don't understand, that I have lots of questions about, and to trust that, that He works out His perfect purposes, even in darkness and through darkness. And so that just is a little bit of a backdrop as, as we think about how to apply some of this to our life. Um, I think it's, it's good to know that this is a time of testing, that this situation that we find ourselves facing is is um, nerve-wracking. <laughs> it, it does provoke anxiety. But this is also a time of testing. And so as we trust God in the midst of that, even in worst-case scenarios, let's, let's trust that He is at work in ways that we can't understand and, and probably will not understand until He renews all things and then we will understand all, even as as we are understood in God's mind. But let's also say that this is a perfect time to put our faith into action. And, and by that I mean um, what Paul was alluding to earlier in, in the passage we looked at, that let's live, we, we, should, we should live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a time of testing, and there's going to be lots of opportunities in the days ahead for us to 
to help other people and to help our neighbors. A few days ago, I heard someone report that uh, they had gone to the store to pick up some supplies when this lady noticed an elderly couple who had been sitting in their car for for some 45 minutes. They had motioned for her to come near, and the elderly lady cracked her window and told how she and her husband had needed some groceries but had been sitting petrified in their car, too afraid to go into the store because they didn't want to get sick. And the elderly lady handed this woman some money and and a list of items, (laughs) handed this over to a stranger and and asked if this stranger would be kind enough to be willing to pick up some groceries for them. And she did. My friends, this breaks my heart to hear that. But know that there are people in this world, living in this anxious world, who are scared at this time. And this is a, a reminder that we need to be proactive Knowing anxiety visits all kinds of people. So let's check up on our neighbors, especially those who are in higher risk groups for getting sick at this time. And let's serve our neighbors and our community with courage as we are given the opportunity to do so. The Apostle Paul, in a letter to some Christians living in Galatia, said this in Galatians 6, verses 9 and 12. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, in Paul's mind, when we follow Jesus, we are called to do good to everyone. It doesn't matter what the situation. To do good to everyone, and especially for those who are of the household of faith. And so, my friends, no doubt, over the days and weeks to come, we will have opportunities to grow in our in our offering of help to to everyone, to do good to everyone. Remember, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to let our light shine. And there are opportunities for good works that God has prepared for us in advance to do, as we're told in Ephesians 2.10. In other words, my friends, we have been born and reborn in Christ for such a time as this. So let's not be missing in action. Here's one final point of application. Let's bank on God's grace for today. I'm thinking particularly of a time in the Apostle Paul's own life in which he recounts how he had spent three seasons, three times when he prayed to God to remove something in his life that was driving him to prayer. And God was giving him the answer, no, it wasn't being removed. And Paul said, he heard these words. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, if I'm reading Paul right here, there's a sense in which God was saying, I'm I'm asking you to be weak so that my power might be displayed in your life. My grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And when that thought hit Paul, it changed everything. He said, he goes on to say, I'm going to boast in my weakness then. If God's not going to take this out of my life, I'm going to to boast in this situation that is actually making me weak so that the power of God can be displayed in my life. And so, my friends, let's learn from this, that there is plenty of grace for today. Let's be in prayer for this 
pandemic that is spreading around the world. Let's pray for those in our communities, in our families, in our neighborhoods. And let's pray. But watch out for that anxiety. I don't know what's going to happen this week or next week or next month. But I do know this. There is plenty of grace for you and me today. Tomorrow's grace will be there tomorrow when we get there. Next week's grace will be there next week when we need it. Next month's grace will be there waiting for us next month when we arrive at next month. God is near to us. My friends, let that be an encouragement to you. Uh, The old Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, with the cost of his own blood, has fully paid for all my sins, has completely freed me from the dominion of the evil one. That God loves me so well, that apart from the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head, but that everything, everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. My friends, those are good words to remember. So I hope that this study in this ancient letter of the Philippians has been helpful to you. I hope it has been, even just working through this to to be able to share with you um, in a recording. I wish I could be with you guys in person to be able to do this, but to be able to even walk through this has has been an encouragement to me, and I hope it is for you as well. So my friends, may God's ever-present grace and peace guard you this day and every day of your life until the day when Christ returns and makes all things new.